Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. And we're live. And I can't wait to introduce you all to a longtime friend and a fellow digital marketing entrepreneur, but he has some expertise that I, I can't even begin to fathom. And so we're going to be learning a lot about this. And it, it ties into what platform is everyone on? Like what platform is everyone on? Social, right? If you're not on Facebook, you probably don't exist. Well, advertising on these platforms can be extremely powerful or deadly to your budget. And my guest today has figured it out. I would call him a social advertising savant, maybe even a whisperer, but it's not magic, right? It's like data-driven. It's that combination of human motivation and intense data analysis. So without further ado, I mean, I could talk about him all day. The CEO of Social Fulcrum, Andrew Krebs-Smith. How are you, sir? I am doing well, sir. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, there's so much to say about you, and we've known each other for a bit of a time here. Wow. You're making me feel really good right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, how long have we known each other? Years. Oh, right? uh, at least at least three years. I don't know how much more than that, but yeah, uh, we know we know the intimate detail. <laughs> what kind of podcast is this? Oh yeah, that's right, <laughs> a hardcore marketing show. <laughs> well, dude, the theme for today is around a couple things. One, for sure, we want to get your wisdom on the idea of social advertising understanding it, how to approach it. We don't want to just donate our money to Facebook. We want to get some results. We don't want to, you know, so like uh, navigating that for sure. We want to get, get into that and, and pick your brain. We also really want to hear, because we chatted earlier and you've got an amazing approach to the idea of multi-touch reporting and, and, and tracking the different touches. And you, and you were so clear on it. It made so much sense. I was like, dude, we got to talk about this on the podcast. It can't just be a conversation over, over dinner or drinks. We got to get everyone to hear this. So that, that's what we're chatting about today for everyone listening. And so this is the part of the show where I pick this heavy thing up and I pass this over to you. Ah. This is Thor's hammer. Go oh, ahead. Take you. that thing. Smash a myth, like a marketing myth, a misconception, something that drives you crazy. Yeah. Oh, let me add it. So stop doing really sophisticated data analysis on really poor quality, quality underlying data. That drives me absolutely nuts. And it happens in a lot of places. Um, maybe programmatic is a very frequent one, but where, oh man, you got really smart people doing really cool things and the best algorithms, but it's all starting from you know, you don't know who anyone is. There's no accurate cross device reporting. Someone's showing up seven times in the database and they think it's seven different people, but it's really one. So that's the thing that's driving me crazy. So there, we're doing some, we're doing all this crazy analysis. Maybe it's multi-touch. Maybe it's all these other regressions and all the sophisticated, take the stats class that by the way, I did not do well in, but the people that do do well and they take that and they kind of do all these fancy things with charts and they give it to everybody. But what we're saying is they've forgotten that their foundation is sand. It's like crumbling. It's bad data underneath it all. Yeah. Um, I think, I think what happens is that, um, 
just the, the, the brands or the advertisers are so far from the people they're advertising to in like the ad tech stack that, um, you know, something could sound really good, um, you know, like bidding on uh, actions or predictive modeling around people that are most likely to convert and share attributes. And that sounds great. But if you realize that there's like 10 different players in between you and that person you're advertising to, and at each stage, you know, someone's passing an Excel file to someone else and, uh, and you know, down there at the consumer level, they are, um, you know, signing up for different sites with different emails and different information. And, and like, as it gets closer and closer to you and people are combining data sets and doing some analysis at one level and then passing it to somebody else and they do the analysis, like what you end up with is good analysis on data that should not be analyzed or, or <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe it should. You, you just don't know because you can't see that underlying consumer level data. Got it. So it sounds like it disjointed for sure. You, know, you, you rattled off a couple things at the beginning of like how we do this wrong. I heard duplicates. I heard we don't know who is who. You know, what's your take? Like, what are some of the different ways, you know, maybe even just kind of talking through that and maybe we'll kind of explain each one, the ways you see people doing it wrong. So the biggest thing to me that creates this problem is the, is not, um, not understanding cross device. Like you, everyone has a phone. Right. Um, and, and most people also have uh, another, you know, desktop or laptop that they work on. And overall uh, behavior is shifting increasingly to mobile, but there's still a lot of um, behavior on both. And also a lot of conversions continue to happen on desktop or, or laptop. Um, and the, the real problem comes from, it is really hard to know that those two devices are the same person. But if you split uh -huh. them apart, um, you get really wacky outcomes because what you'll see since you know, there's a lot of mobile usage and some of the inventory can be cheaper there It'll look like you have these two different people and one of them is seeing lots of ads on their phone and Not doing anything about it <laughs> Then you'll see this other person over here who doesn't see many ads and they just convert out of nowhere right? <laughs> and You're gonna yeah. say what the heck do I do with my marketing dollars or what tactics do I deploy and it's really hard to understand that when you're looking at a click-based attribution that cannot reconcile that cross-device. Now, I'm not saying like there's 0% there's cross-device tracking. There is some percent. But if it's 30%, if it's 50%, then you're kidding yourself by doing any type of sort of decision-making on top of it because it's 50-50 it's at best. So, um, wow. yeah, does that wow. make sense? Yeah, no, it does. And, and as, a, as you were describing that, I was thinking, you know, all that kind of work we do and trying to figure out buyer personas or not figuring it out. Maybe you're just trying to segment people. And if you were to, to your point, if you were to look at the results here, you'd go, okay, well, our best customer are these people that never saw any of our ads, whether it be to C or B2B, they didn't see any of our marketing. They just sort of swooped in from nowhere and purchased. Mm -hmm. like, and and, if, and yeah. if you were doing your buyer research solely based on digital, maybe not reaching out and talking to them or fixing this problem digitally, then you may be building your whole house in, of cards. You know, you may That's be exactly right. Yeah. That's a great example. And, and to play it through even more, like 
let's say you have one of those companies, right, who will say, oh, we take your customer list and we upload it to our, you know, third party data set. And then we'll tell you all the catalogs that that people get and we'll tell them, tell you the cars that they drive. But if, if all of that ultimately connects to that desktop and not the mobile, you're going to get such a skewed perspective of who that person is that you're going to totally mess things up when you action on that data. So that's where I just think that like a lot, there's a lot of uh, decision making that would be sound if all of the data was sound, but it, it gets flawed at that early stage. Yeah. The data's not sound, man. You got me hyped. Cause I was about to be like, I don't know how many use this, but I would love to know what catalogs our customers get. And I was about to, I was like mentally placing that order as you're describing like, Oh, that'd be so cool. And then you're like, but at the same time, if that's only half of your customer, experience that you doesn't even matter you don't even know if those are your, your best pe people or you don't even know if that's the right way to go so right. now i'm now i'm really depressed yeah I, is this fixable <laughs> what do we do so there's yeah there's a couple things you can do um and uh sort of in a in a it's a sort of self-serving if you look at this as like uh, my company runs a lot of facebook ads for me right. to recommend facebook but the reason we used to run on all platforms, so we do like paid media, mostly B2C uh, type clients. And the reason why we focus now on Facebook and Instagram is because that's where most of the scalable results are for our clients and because that's where they have person-based measurement. And that's one of the keys that does help to solve this problem where what is the one app that most people are logged into across all of their devices? It's Facebook, it's Instagram. And they just built it with a really strong um architecture that can um like partly it's just usage base like people just use it so much on their different devices that is the biggest solve here so it's not even a thing that they did with the app but uh, once you have that usage they take advantage of it really well so um, talk me through that person-based integration it's because what facebook knows who you actually are yeah i think they call it like people-based measurement is their like you know tagline but it's because they can actually see the behavior on your different devices. So it's a combination of, um, you know, the vast majority of people tend to have these apps installed at all. Then most of those people who have it installed also have it installed on their other devices. So, yeah. so they're seeing the full picture. Now, right. the best part is that Facebook has gotten all these advertisers to install their pixels all over their website. Wow. So now Facebook can connect that behavior. They don't just know your interests, and what you do on Facebook on your different devices, they then know what you purchase on your different devices. They see when you put that over here and then purchase over here. And so they've got the whole picture. And, and look, you know, Facebook ad prices go up. It's very expensive now compared to what it used to be. But in my opinion, it's the, it is the best marketing database if you're trying to go after um, people. And if you're in B2B where the LTV is, you know, that much higher, I think it just makes it that much easier to compete in that area as it gets more expensive. Oh, I see. Because I, I, I was wondering about the B2B, but before we get to the B2B side, so going back, Facebook, you know, you got the app on your phone and that's enough that they get you browsing on your, on your phone as well? So on your computer too? Like just because you go to Facebook and you're logged in, that's yeah. enough? Yeah. Um, so if you, the way to sort of think about it is, so anyone could do this. It's not a unique advantage to Facebook. Got it. Um, and there's a lot of like third party tools that you can use as anybody with a, an app or a website.
that will, um, if you have a login from people, it'll connect that person back to their unique identifier. So for each person, it creates some unique number. Um, and what happens is, um, someone signs in with their email, for example. Yep. And so if you sign in with your email on your phone, then it'll suddenly be able to connect anything you do on that phone with that account. Then you go to your desktop, you sign in. It'll also connect anything. So Amazon is another good example of where like if you're signing on both devices, they get to see all that purchase history. So their data is very rich as well. Um, So you could do that. Like um, another example that isn't like a a platform like that. I think um, Zulily, they're an e-commerce site. I was just on the site recently. And I think they force, at least on the phone, they force the email. So like you can't look at any product. You can't go any further into the site until you've given an email. And if you're not like a current member, you have to sign up or you can't even see the site. And they're very um, strong about it. And I think Wayfair used to do that. And the reason is because they're basically saying, if we don't get that email every time you come, if you're not logged in from wherever you are, it's I'm willing to take a lower conversion rate because I need to have that data. Like I can, I only, this is only worth it for me as a brand. If I can see what you do and where you came from and you're the same person who was here on Thursday. And so they're forcing it and it seems aggressive, but the, it, I agree with the move because it's, um, you know, it's a really important asset when you're making decisions on the marketing front. Right. So it's so important to them. And you mentioned this, they're willing to take, cause it, Cause if I see that, I don't know who it was. It was one of those, um, maybe, you know, you, you purchase like nice clothes. I, it was one of those sites where it's like members only or something. And they, they kind of played it off as members only, but really they just wanted your email and mm-hmm. sometimes your game and sometimes you're not, but they're, they're willing to take that. She just shows how what you're bringing up is so important to some of these companies that they're like, no, we don't, we don't care. We'd no. much rather have both sides of the coin than just take everybody. Now, uh, just to be clear, like I, I'm not saying that every company at every stage should always do right. exactly this. I think there's a time and a place, right? Like if you're a certain amount of early stage, you just can't take that hit of requiring that upfront, you know, and, and like you just need every single sale. Or the other end of the spectrum, I think Wayfair is a good example. Um, they have removed that gate from their site because they're so mass market that like they can't have a big barrier to, to using the site. They're running a TV ad. If someone goes and is only willing to invest five seconds in the site, they need to show them what they're selling. Yeah. They can't have that email, you know, and that's because they like maxed out the entire audience that they could get with those emails. So now they're taking a hit on the attribution front, but they're so big that it doesn't matter at this point. So maybe they know enough about, um, yeah, they have the model figured out. So maybe exactly. they're able to just open the floodgates. Exactly. Yep. Got it. So person-based integration solves that problem because they, they can reconcile you. Interesting. Yeah, they can connect you across your different devices. I think, I think it's also like, so that, that's a, that said, it, it's an unrealistic ask to say like, oh, just go do person-based measurement. That's not a realistic thing. It's like it exists on a couple different platforms. And if you're not heavily dependent on those platforms or you don't have a great tech team that can, you know, set this up, you're, you're not already halfway there. That's hard. This is a big deal. So in lieu of that, I would say just stop pretending like you have a really accurate answer to certain questions and like appreciate the ambiguity within which you you must make certain decisions. And it's like, it's a very different thing. If you're saying like, 
well, we don't know, but I'm going to go on my hunch. At least you're admitting that. And like, I, I just think that's a much more, uh, that's a much better expectation to set than like the, oh, we're all going to pretend like we know the answer here and we're being really smart. Where it's like, this is, this is bullshit. Right. Because then that sets you up for being able to make quick changes. If you realize, oh, this is a test, this was a hunch and it proved to be not the case. So we're going to switch gears here or no, this, we've proven this. This is for sure. We believe this. And then it sets you up for being surprised later when you've invested hundred K in something and it's like the wrong logic and like, yep. that doesn't make any sense. Our, all of our research showed that this was the case. And it's like, actually, no, you were jumping conclusions there. Huh. So yeah, I'm a big fan of like using science whenever possible. And a big part of science is like never saying you know the truth. You just simply come up with hypotheses and you either have proven them wrong or not. Um, and so I think that's how marketing should be treated. And, and so that means you can have hunches, you can experiment, you can take swings, but like call it that when you're doing it. Um, I don't like the false confidence. Boom. That's it, man. If, if there was a mic drop moment, you should just drop it. It's a fake mic. So you can, uh, do it. I have headphones here. I'll, I'll drop those. Uh, no, that I mean, I love that. It, it it's a science, and go go on hunches. Never say you just know the absolute truth. You have a hypothesis. You're testing it. You're gonna find out if it works. If it does, great. If it doesn't, adjust. I love that, man. Yep. And and to do that, you gotta know like you gotta know what's actually happening. <laughs> right. Measure it. Yeah. Right. And by the way, mic dropping is so uncool during karaoke. <laughs> 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 we were on a cruise ship, and and. You, you, like these things are expensive, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. It's not, if it's not your mic or you don't know the person who bought yeah. it, then yeah, you should not so be. I did it and it broke the mic and everyone was like, huh? And the DJ was like, dude, everyone was like, boo, get out of here. The, the best part about that is that like, he has to pass everyone in the halls for the rest of the week. Yes. Like, <laughs> and, like oh, you're the DB that hallway. broke the mic. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Hey, it's the mic breaker. Right, right. <laughs> it's like the Kingslayer. Instead, it's the mic breaker. That's yeah. awesome. So, okay, cool. It, on the B2B side, sort of understanding, I mean, can we get to the person level? Does LinkedIn eventually become that on the business side? Does it matter as much when it's the B2B world? What's I your think LinkedIn has the opportunity to be that for sure. um, B2B advertising because um, they've done a great job building out their app. Um, and so that you have enough usage on, on different devices that you could be able to build that map of like what people are doing across their different devices. I think the overall problem for me with LinkedIn has always just been that like their advertising is one revenue stream out of several. Mm. Um, and so like recruiting, I, I don't know their, how their P&L breaks down, but it's my understanding you know, that advertising is not their biggest revenue stream. I think it's number three out of four or something. So, so they are not investing the resources there as heavily as, you know, Facebook, Google, it's their entire business is advertising. So right. their entire team, huge engineering team is focused on it. So that's why they've just continued to iterate the platform more slowly. So uh, they just keep making us wait longer for things that other advertisers have had for a super long time. So, um, but yeah, they, they have the biggest opportunity there to, to drive that for, for B2B. And then I think, you know, I don't know, I don't know what uh, acquisition Salesforce has made recently, but, um, you know, they, they may have an opportunity because I know they've bought up a lot of the marketing, um, you know, cloud. Yeah, now, now it's Tableau is the latest one. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know about that. I don't know. Have, you, have you used LinkedIn for advertising? I've, I've heard a lot of negative 
things about it in terms yeah, of it's it, they just it was a caveman platform like it was just set up so um it was like set up in the 90s and never touched type of thing like back to your resources um, they're not really investing in it yeah like for example they had a they had a cpc floor of two dollars i remember um and so that meant that like no matter what the market price was right the market price could have been 37 cents you're paying two dollars per click so that just like cut so many people out of the market right if you look at those businesses that are advertising driven like the, most of the revenue, eighty percent or something, comes from the long tail. It's like a bunch of small players. So they were shooting themselves in the foot. Maybe they just didn't have the resources to manage that like bid ask system. But um, yeah. but that was an example. They didn't have conversion tracking and pixels for like a long time. Jeez. And so it was just like basic stuff that like any ad platform should have. So they're they're kind of behind the the eight ball or whatever the metaphor is they're a little and bit behind i'm not even saying it's wrong like their business you know may be the sensible choice given where their other revenue comes from but if they want to if they want to capitalize on that opportunity they need to invest way more on the team that is actually building out the ad product and they need to get some people who've you know who can move a lot faster and, and build it out like a legit platform well it, i mean now it's microsoft so they're revenue is what selling windows 98 and and xboxes now is that you know like yeah. I, I don't know how you you know you get attention you're like the vp of advertising on linkedin and you, there's you know 900 other vps at microsoft you're like give me resources they're like shut up <laughs> oh, yeah yeah that's probably what's happening but the um I, the strategic argument could be that like look we're microsoft we sell really expensive enterprise services to big companies and like, oh, where are those people spending time and recruiting their C-level yeah. executives? And like, that's a, a way to access them, um, which which could be huge. That would be huge. Yeah, yeah. totally. Okay, so, so oh man, back to that science. You know, we never know the truth. It's all about that testing. Oh, so, and you were, you were shifting into B2B um, from the like, yeah, what you know and what, what yeah. your data tells you. Um, and one thing, in B2B, right, is you have a, a much longer, high value purchase. Uh, the decision may take place over a long period of time. You may, you may have many different touch points if you're doing content marketing or something like that. And it may be totally unrealistic to have somebody log in like a year before they want to make the purchase. It's like they don't even know if this yeah. is a thing they need. So, so I think we have to look at it from that context. And I think, um, you know, yeah, I don't believe that you, you absolutely need to have everyone signing in and, and have a, like a person-based view of everything. But I think um, there are other ways to look at your uh, spend or your marketing return um, that don't sort of make fundamental errors. So like, let me, uh, yeah, multi-touch attribution is like one of those areas where if everybody wants to be able to see every touch point for every single person, and then be able to attribute based on certain things. And like, right. that's an area where you can easily quickly get into an area where you're like making the wrong decision because you don't actually have the right data. And I think right. they're kind of do that. Okay. So yeah, talk us into, so multi, what is, what is your view on it? Is it possible? Do you see value in it? If you can quickly go down a rabbit hole, is there a way to avoid that or? I think right, so uh, in a scenario where it is doable, you should totally do it, but in general, it's usually not doable. Um, and I think people should stop trying for now. Um, oh, interesting. Because, 
the journey will involve, like the journey does not start at the click, right? Um, if you think that anything before the click doesn't matter, then you should totally do it and you totally can do it because you can see click data fairly accurately and you can track people back to a click fairly accurately. But the problem for me is that what happens to the, you know, 37 impressions over four months that, incur that occurred before that point? How do you attribute those? Because to me, um, it doesn't start at the click. It starts, you know, when they start developing an idea of what the brand is and what their problem is. Um, and so th that gets really challenging because, you know, we're, we're talking about like, oh, you solve it by having them log into your site. But like, they're, they're not at your site. They right. haven't even clicked on anything. They are like somewhere else and they saw something about you. Um, how do you track that back to your spend? And I think that you marketers should stop trying to actually see the exact path of each person and instead look at their channels based on lift. They should be running lift studies for each channel independently to see what the effect is on their, what is the incrementality of that channel, um, which alone would, would do huge things for how they allocate those dollars. And yet it doesn't give you that journey over time of a person, but I think that it would improve from where you are now. You'd get a much, ac much more accurate view of where people are spending their time and which dollars are actually impacting behavior. So it's, it's a weird thing that I'm saying. I'm saying like, stop trying to be so specific because if you did, you would actually progress a lot more than, than the way you're progressing now. Right. Almost like the, those old cameras or whatnot that you zoom in too much. You, you see that you see the hair. So like the dust particles on the lens and now you've zoomed in too much and now you don't and it, see any distracted. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. How early I, there's a couple of things that came up, but I, I'm going to hit how early it starts before that click. Where, where does it start? You does it start in, you know, like you were a glim in your mother's eye, like where they're, they're at their desk and they have a problem. Um, well, I think it depends on the product or service. Yeah. Um, so it need to be software or something like that, you know? Yep. Some, some are, uh, event based, uh, like something happens. And if that thing doesn't happen, then you're never going to look for this, you know, right. have this certain challenge. And some are, you could sell it at any time. It's like, don't you always want, faster internet or, uh, you know, to increase, um, lead such and such. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Random marketing term. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, so I think it depends. I think like, let's take the, um, the demand based one, the, the one where it could happen at any time. You're always, you, you could always hypothetically be in market. Um, like marketing yeah. automation. I don't like, you know, that kind yeah. of software. Just, sure. CRM, maybe even software. Yeah. Right. Yes. So like, right. You might have a CRM, but it could be better. Um, you might not yeah. have one and you should have one, right? There's all sorts of ways that you can always yeah. improve your CRM. Right. Um, and there's all sorts of vendors that might sell into that based on that need. Um, so there, I think it starts with, um, it starts with, there needs to be a, a catalyst, some, some need that, that it gets connected to. So like, um, like the hardest person to sell to is someone who's crushing it and everything's perfect. Yeah. They don't, 
everything's great. Everything's fine, man. I love this tool. I, I love my Excel spreadsheet CRM. Right. Good, so, growing 18%. We're good. Yeah, exactly. So someone who yeah. just got out of a board meeting and was yelled at, like that person <laughs> is looking for any solution yeah. to uh, solve that you know, problem that they just got yelled at for. Um, and so, you know, let's, let's take that person. I think if that person sees a post on LinkedIn about like how to drive more, you know, sales through improving your CRM yeah. before the board meeting that might've gone right past them. But now yeah. they're like, Oh, let me hold on a second. What is this? You know, they might, they might click through, they might not. Um, it might be a combination of a bunch of different posts they see over a period of a week that makes them think, oh, maybe I should actually look more into the options for CRM. And then they do a separate search. So the first time they actually took a measurable like click or action online was like a week later, but there were some posts that influenced that up until then. Um, so I think it totally depends, uh, but I think it's often not a measurable or not easily measurable thing like an impression. Right. It gets back to that. Yeah. I've had conversations with people like Adele Ravella who, who talk about doing buyer research phone calls where you're actually interviewing them and asking them questions and asking, Oh, well, tell me more about that. And then what happened or what drove you to make that decision and who do you trust? And, and, and how did that go? And trying to see what kind of trends people are falling into. It sounds like it's like that marriage between there's data and some of it's, harder than others and but then there's also that soft skill side of the human side of knowing at least knowing that some sort of event or some kind of pain precipitated that search or precip you know into your, i love that analogy of you you could have had your banner just floating out there chilling and everyone's ignoring it but then you got yelled at or something happened and now you see it. It's kind of like when you get a new car and, and you see all the other cars that are just like yours. Like, wow, we just got a new Nissan Rogue. And now I see Rogues all over the place. And I'm a Jeep Wrangler guy. So I, I keep wanting to wave at them, but nobody does the wave. Mm -hmm. you know, but it's like you keep seeing things now that, uh, you know, that's your interest has been peaked. Right. It's like, like I, uh, the car example is a great one because I bought a truck recently and I wasn't even going to compare. I'm a huge car guy. And every car I've ever bought, I've compared a ton. And truck world is not the world I'm familiar with. And I was honestly about to just go buy a Ford F-150. Yeah. Because it was, I had just like heard the most about it. I had seen it around. So when did that start for me? Jeez, I have no idea. Years ago, um, right? You're just seeing yeah. F-150 ads of the Super Bowl and who knows? Well, and, but side note, this is why I also think I, I, it really frustrates me when marketers treat as gospel uh, customer surveys, like, where did you hear about us? Oh, like, yeah. I've seen, I'm not saying you shouldn't look at that data at all. It's, uh, you know, you should take in all the data that you have access to, but, but when it's treated as like, Oh, well, you know, we thought we got this many conversions from TV, but then, you know, 67% of people said they saw, they found out about us from the TV commercial. So that must be where all of the impact has come from. It's like, they don't know, they don't remember. Um, yeah. Do you remember the billboard you drove by? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, that's a whole other. Okay, so what truck did you did you get? You're on the truck store. Like you oh. could have got an F-150. So I ended up getting a Dodge Ram, or I guess it's no, Ram is like a separate brand. Anyway, um, I got a Ram 1500, uh, and my my friend sort of snapped me out of it. I had posted to social about it, um, just like an organic post. I was like, hey, you know, thinking about getting this truck, you know, talk to me. Um, and I had a bunch of people comment, and 
good buddy who is a known like car aficionado. I've known him for 10 years. And he was like, hey, you should really look into this. I know you, you're gonna appreciate the strengths of this. Go look at the Motor Trend article. Like it's clearly a great model. So he, he sort of interrupted that automatic search I was going about. But if he hadn't done that, like only because he had high credibility was he able to interrupt that. I was, I was definitely on the autopilot um, route to buying a F-150. Wow, you know, it's interesting that it, it, it was an influencer, I think is the word they use these days, that sort of interrupted that signal. Yeah, totally, totally. And not one that like has his own channel. He's not like famous. He's just like a personal influencer. What What was it about the Ram? Because I, I, you know, it's maybe someone's looking for a truck out there. But at the same <laughs> time, these, you know, the specifics might be interesting. What was it that they said that you might like this other one better? So, so, so he didn't know my exact situation. It wasn't like he knew the exact like benefits that I was shopping based on. Right. But he knew in general, like the background is that the, the 2019 Ram was redesigned from the ground up and it was the first one that um, Fiat Chrysler um, had a lot of involvement in since okay. acquiring them. And, um, and, and it just drives extremely well. It's really well designed. Um, and, and so he was talking from a big picture standpoint, like if you appreciate cars, like you would want to know like this one, one truck of the year, like this one was redesigned from the ground up. Like, so, so that's the perspective he had. Then when I looked into it, it happened to meet those very specific benefits okay. I was looking for. So that was things like storage. Like, I hate that you can't, you know, there's nowhere to really throw tools in a truck. Um, except for like, you know, in the cab or something. And it has these Ram box things that are so cool oh, that cool. are like little trunks along the, the side bed. Um, and, and then there's a bunch of other storage compartments. It has a ton of storage. Um, and, then it, and then not being a, a truck guy in the past, like I wanted something that was sort of easier to drive and this is relatively easy to drive. It drives very well. Um, and oh, and then there were huge like discounts on MSRP because of the, like they're trying to grow their market share. So they take like 20% off sticker. So I got a crazy deal on it. Um, and it wasn't like I negotiated it. I didn't negotiate at all. I looked online and like, that's the price that <laughs> was like, on. here you go. <laughs> yeah. The guy, I brought it into the dealer and he was like, wow, that's a great price. <laughs> he was like, so right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you even surprised the dealer going back to your friend. Was there, you know, was the, was he just a fan? Did he prefer Rams? in general. So he was kind of like an advocate for the other side. I mean, no, I think has lots of tools. He likes to store. He didn't know these specific things. Right. Um, he, I, you know, there, there's probably some subconscious memory of discussions with him in the past where we might go back and forth on different cars. And I think it was probably something along the lines of, seeing that he's open to fact-based decision-making um, where it's like, oh, you think that's good, but what about this fact about this car? And he's like, right. oh, that's a great point. I didn't think about that. And it's like, if I can see that he's going to, if, the, if, the, if people have the same set of information and they can agree on something, that is, um, that's what you wanna see. Um, and then it's just a matter of like, how do we both get the same information? Um, so I've seen that process with him. So I knew that like, um, you know, he, he had some information that I didn't have and, and he wasn't going to be, he, he isn't just some like brand loyalist or evangelist. Yeah. 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 Some lackey. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because like as I'm hearing that, I'm trying to recreate it. Like, how do I get more of these guys to hey, don't go with a competition, man. Think about these other guys. Think about these other guys. It just mm-hmm. yeah, I, and I don't even know maybe, but it, it's interesting that 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 kind of gave you just enough to then go research the other side. By the way, those tool cubbies do sound kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, no, they're really cool. Uh, you can fit like seven watermelons in one of them. It's awesome. What? <laughs> um, uh, so. Yeah, I, I want to see that. Good. I'm call. I'm calling it though. I want to see seven watermelons. <laughs> All right. Uh, put an addendum to the podcast. Yes. Um, <laughs> On YouTube only. YouTube only special. I think it, it, one of the hardest things. I totally agree with you. Which is like, there are. Um, there's, there's some smarter word for this, but there's super unequal weightings to like certain people. Um, and, and some people have so much power and it's obvious when they're on YouTube and they, you know, have a huge audience, but there are other people like, um, Lululemon pants. I'm a huge fan of Lululemon pants. I tell anybody I know uh, they're the only pant I wear every single day of my entire life. That's, that's all I wear. Really versatile. They can, they dress up, they dress down. I'm, I'm obsessed with them, but it's like how I just think of it from the marketing standpoint. Like if I was the you know, someone running marketing at Lululemon, like I am so much more valuable than, you know, someone else might be not like, I might have purchased the same amount of pants as someone else, but I've, I'm responsible for so many other sales or positive brand impressions. And it's like, how do you get that person to show up? It's, I I don't, there's not an easy answer to that. Um, and, and it's also, it cheapens it. If like Lululemon reached out to me and they were like, here's a hundred dollars. Can you like tell some more people? It's like, yeah, that'd be, no, I, uh, I like the product. Right. It's like, I'm just talking because it's a great product. So that's, that's just one of those, like, I don't know what to do with that exactly. Um, but yeah, there's some studies that show that when you incentivize the wrong things, then it just kills that feeling where people are just trying to, I mean, for me, it was part on or still is really, I just told everyone about it. Everyone was sick of hearing about it at my house, but like, I would just, man, that's what I did. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I don't think they even sent me a t-shirt for a couple of years, you know, or no, I mean, I visited the office and they knew my name and that was cool enough. I, it was just cause I loved the thing. And so to your point, you know, Dodge or Ram, you know, and Lulu, Lululemon, you know, you're right. You're, you're playing this influence. You're here. You're on a podcast talking about it. And you here, I thought it was just pants and clothing for women based on the name. Yeah. I didn't even know. Right. And someone like you, who's, who I trust, who is like, actually, these pants are worth checking out. I didn't even know they had guy pants. I mean, do they, they must, right? Yeah. They're not, they're not, they're not ladies. I've seen no. you in person. You're not. But if they were, I would still wear them because they're that good. <laughs> but I uh, just get like a. Yeah women's you know quadruple <laughs> xl or whatever you fit into so what i think the um what i think is interesting about this is like when i learned about marketing back in undergrad 10 plus years ago like the marketing was defined as the four p's which i don't know if they still use that but it was like product price promotion and placement but the product one it was like marketing actually had input into the product like they had uh, they were basically the voice of the consumer. They would do all of this product research and then like come back to the product team. And so they had actual like input on features and benefits. They weren't just um, stuck with this task of like market, whatever it is that we come out with, which I think, you know, sometimes is lost or muddled in today's marketing like landscape where I, I don't 
get the sense that marketers often feel like they have input into the product or a strong say there. Agreed. I think maybe this is why you get a lot of like titles like you know chief growth officer or head of growth because that implies more of a holistic view and, and input in more areas like supply chain or you know product development because because um, those are things that need to be done well if you want to grow. You know, like big aha moment for me on that one. We should probably even go through the, the next other P's. But, you know, marketing had a, had a tie into the product and they were the voice of the customer because they were having conversations with the customer, whether it was research or surveys or whatever. At least they were actively engaged and having conversations. And the kind of knowledge they would have or probably had much better knowledge in the past when we weren't so focused on the demand gen side or, you know, the lead gen side, but they were, when they were tied into product, they were, they were listened to and they were expected to be the, the one that knew the customer the best, which mm -hmm. is interesting. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we have that as much anymore, No, but I'd love to get back to that. It seemed like a, Oh, wow. This is a, something historic that we could actually go back to and mm -hmm. get more of is, that shift back to better understanding our customers and not so much even from the data standpoint, but just the voice of the customer, the understanding of what they need and the one and what their pain points are and why they bought these pants or why they bought the software. It makes so much sense that way. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Sick. So the four P's, are they, are they still, are they still valid? Mm, I mean, it's yeah, but you're probably, sort of forcing it into a, an older structure mm -hmm. where that was built around this like manufacturing and retail context that is less prevalent now, like in D to C like brands, I just, I'm not sure if that's the best way of, of looking of breaking it down. Um, and, and frankly, you know, like you can't be the, the person who's, totally responsible for product as well as all of the promotion as well as how it gets distributed. Like it's it, the way it's described. It's like a COO set of responsibilities, which I don't think um, continues to make sense. I think it did make sense when it was like, Oh, most of the sales happen at, you know, JC Penney or Macy's and you know, stuff like that. So you heard it here. Andrew Krebs Smith, the four P's are dead. The four P's are dead. Clickbait. Click on here. The four P's are dead, <laughs> or it's just forced. Is that what? What? You, before I put words in your mouth, what? So you think it's just that there are better models or better ways of approaching it these days, more modern? Ways? Yeah, there are definitely better ways. Um, I'm not the one to say what those ways are, um, yeah. but I haven't heard the four P's for a while. I think it's like a useful thing to refer back to, but not probably not the most accurate framework to be using right now. It, I think, but that's important for students to hear because I, I think by and large, we're still teaching the four P's because that's what's in textbooks, you know? Okay. So yeah, rant hat on again. Do it. The way that marketing is taught is so bad just in like higher institutions. Like, cause and this, this I've seen more recently cause I went back to school for my MBA and, and that was, you know, more recent and, um, and it was still horrible. It, um, it, it's like, you know, teaching accounting or finance that how much has that really changed in the last 10 years? Not right. that much. Whereas marketing is going through these crazy shifts and it's, um, and so it's different than a lot of the other disciplines that might stick around for longer. Um, 
And, and so I think schools have a really hard time teaching it. Um, and it's one of those things that if you just teach it at an abstract level, it does not help people uh, understand where they want to be working, um, how it actually, you know, what it actually looks like. I don't think we're setting up our graduates for the, the job market um, well by the way that we're teaching marketing in schools. And I think that um, there are some schools that do like co-ops like Northeastern or um, was it, I think, was it Drexel does it, a bunch of that. But like, I, I think um, experience-based learning and marketing is huge because it changes so fast that if you aren't seeing it on the ground, uh, it, I don't know. I just think there's a big gap between what's being taught and what's actually being done. Yeah. Amen to that. I, you know, I, one of the reasons I didn't get an MBA is because I couldn't stand the thought of learning social from a professor who had less followers than I do. And I don't even have that many. Right. But you know, like well, so, I, I no, to, that. that literally, so when I was taking it to their credit, the professors who were tasked with teaching social, which was shoved into this, like uh, this class that was like a catch all for oh, anything geez. that didn't fit cleanly in one bucket. So it was like, technology and operations and like social and like it was like so weird how it was organized but they they actually invited me to like teach the class on oh, it wow. because i had done so much work there and and the class really appreciated it and they learned a lot out of it and it was like only because i had been in it could i give really clear details about you know what it looked like not not all of it just sort of my world but um but yeah, I think that highlights, you know, they knew that they didn't have that tactical knowledge right. and that it was moving so fast. They wanted someone who was just like recently in it. And I'm sure they, you know, the school comped you the credits that you paid for, for that. Yeah. yeah right. Uh, well, Hey, there was, a, there was something you mentioned earlier and, and I, and I wonder if, if everyone listening heard this too, we were talking about multi-touch and I, it would be, it'd be terrible if I didn't ask you about this before we went on to uh, talking about a couple other things. You, you were mentioning that, you know, we get all focused on the multi-touch side and actually what we should be doing are lift studies. Yeah. And other than the ride sharing service, I don't know what these are. So I would love to, what should we be focusing on instead of multi-touch universe lift studies? What, what is that? So the best example I've heard or analogy for what a lift study is, is like a, is like a randomized drug trial, right? Where a certain group a people gets a placebo and another group gets the actual drug. Okay. You're just doing that in advertising. So what a lift test is, is, you know, let's say it's 80% of your audience gets your normal ads, whatever you were showing them anyway, keep showing it to that 80%, but then draw a really hard line that no one can cross over. And this 20% should get, ads for something else, something that has nothing to do with your company, preferably a, a nonprofit a charity. And the reason you run ads to them is so that you can still measure what happens afterwards, right? Wow. You can't measure conversion unless you're actually running the ad. And if you do that, it'll take something that's reported to be a 10 X ROI, right? And it'll show you that you are actually getting three X ROI, uh, even when you were just running ads for some other, you know, this nonprofit that, you know, wasn't an actual ad for your brand. So there was this baseline that needed to be taken into account. You need to subtract that out of the results so that really you have an ROI of seven, right? How did you, how do you get the 10 versus the three? What, what's happening so, behind the scenes to get that? Right. Uh, so the 10 is if all you do is show ads and you don't run any control group, you don't have a placebo, yeah. then 
all you can see is what the platform tells you. And the platform saying, ah, I see all these conversions. They must be due to your ads. You're assuming <laughs> that every conversion that happened was caused by the ad that you ran. Right. But that's not the case, right? Someone could have put something in their shopping cart and they just didn't check out. And then they come back the next week to check out. They were going to do that anyway. You just happen to show them an ad in between. Oh, uh, like, right? like, like a win back, they come back or... Yeah. Yeah, and, and it, yeah, yeah, you know, so the, the B2B example is like, you know, you show somebody an ad and suddenly they convert as a lead. Uh, but like they were they did that because of a meeting with their boss and their boss said, you have to go, you know, explore that technology. It had nothing to do with the ad that you, you showed them. So you have to know what is the frequency of, of those things that would have happened anyway, because you have to remove that from whatever the like gross ROI is that you're reporting. So the 10x would be the gross. Um, and the three X would be your baseline that needs to be removed. And so 10 minus three is seven. And that's your net ROI. That's what actually is incremental. That's what you caused. Um, and you do that by making sure you have enough data, making sure you can have a hard line in between those groups. That's the hard part is making sure that you're not like accidentally showing someone a control ad when they're also mm -hmm. seeing your normal ads. Um, there's a lot of, they're very difficult to do, but, um, but they're totally worth it because you have, you can have a lot of confidence in the decisions that you make afterwards. Um, so, so yeah, there's like a whole, we just gave a presentation on this at some conference. So I have like way too detailed. No, that's cool. My head. That's the high level part. Yeah. Right. It's like, I've asked you Elon Musk to like build a rocket. Well, let me yeah, tell you yeah. about the 8,000 <laughs> steps we goes into this thing. And right, right, right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Maybe we, we have you come back on and, and kind of do a deep dive in some of that data and just hash that stuff out. So my, my like short way to end this is to say that multi-touch, right. sets some arbitrary time window where it says, Oh, we're going to give a hundred percent of a click within seven days to some platform, or we're going to do 20% here and 40% there. And it's like, it's sort of like measuring the wrong thing. Like no model that you create will ever be perfect. And you're creating these arbitrary windows and arbitrary, like, you know, is a last touch is a first touch. And instead I think, you know, skip all that and just measure how much, what's the difference you drove, right? Mm -hmm. When you added dollars, what did it do? It went three to 10. That's what it right. did. And if you do that on each channel, <clears throat> gives you a lot more confidence around which channels you should be investing your time in. And, and of course, yeah, maybe the next step is then like, look within the channels data to say, you know, what, who's seen what over time and you can optimize that journey and then you can do a lot more specific stuff. But I think the biggest problem is that people are trying to do multi-touch to try and understand their channel mix. And that's fundamentally going to give you a headache and, you'll waste a lot of money and you won't actually have more confidence. Whereas a lift test is like science. Right. It's like not zooming in too closely. This lift test, the idea of a placebo and seeing what it, in, and we're describing in terms of the, the ad spend or even like retargeting to win someone back or get someone, get someone's attention. I could see these things working in many different facets. From do it, it doesn't need to be running ads. You just have to yeah. be able to hold out certain groups and then measure the impact of those two groups. Right. I guess it sounds scary for people because they're like, but what if it's working? Then I miss out on it working for 20% of the people. So that is a key cost of running lift tests. Um, in the world we're in, that's why we like built out software to be able to have smaller holdout groups. Oh, okay. um, and so you just have to do some fancy data stuff. Actually, I, I don't even, that's our CTO could talk Got more. It. But like, 
that's that there's no question that's a big cost um so you want to minimize that as much as you can the problem is like the bigger it is the more statistically valid your test will tend to be uh, right right it's a balance yeah so you have to balance it yep that's why it's it's there are like you have to have someone who specializes in this type of thing do it like you don't want to you don't just casually do a lift test there's other like you have to go a dark period on your control group for a couple months there's like it's very there's a lot to it got it got it sick sick man well i'm curious who are you where did you come from how did you become not only my friend but like this this uh ultimate wise man of all things social and advertisement and data and measurement and advertising right. Back, it is you know? right. little um, andrew little andy back in the day yeah so um i was born in state college pennsylvania where my mom was getting her doctorate at penn state uh we quickly moved to maryland uh grew up in silver spring up until third grade and then moved to gaithersburg maryland in fourth grade um and let's see some fun stories that tell you a little bit about who i am one is I, uh, I was my brother's lawyer when I was like 10 and I like <laughs> dressed up in a suit and negotiated a sleepover for him and had my parents sign a contract. Um, was that your idea? He really wanted yeah, to go yeah. and they were saying yeah, no. Like my parents were saying no and I was like, Ian, come up to my room. And I, I, like, I was like, here's what we're going to do. And I like wrote it up in a three-hole punch binder and I like put on my suit jacket and I went downstairs and I said, Mr. and Mrs. Krebsmith, um, uh, my client has asked me to meet with you and I like, it was, funny. are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. How did um, it go? They still have it. Uh, it was great. We, we negotiated a settlement that both sides were happy with. Um, <laughs> we agreed to a, a sleepover, not that night, but the next weekend, which okay. was, uh, uh, everyone was amenable to that. Give and take there. Yeah. yeah it was a big win for everybody. I was very happy with the outcome. And how did you not go into law after that? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. You're just too uh, nice. <laughs> You're too so nice. both my parents were scientist-ish. Um, yeah. So they both worked for the National Institutes of Health. And oh, wow. okay. uh, my dad worked with the, more of the computer and database side. And my mom was more of a researcher and then like a branch manager. Um, and so, but they both were like, had a strong background in the sciences. Um, so like, I think that's why I was, a, I won my um, school science fair in high school. And then I won like the state science fair in the category um, because like, you know, my mom was teaching me about independent variables and like how to run tests and stuff like that. Um, so that's definitely part of an influence. Uh, another fun story Wait, is- How old uh, were you when she's teaching you that stuff? Cause that's some legit- Yeah, high events. school, whatever age you are, wow. high school, 15, 16, something like that. So that's where that came from. Yeah, definitely. and. Um, yeah, so like one of my tests was, does uh, personality type affect handwriting? Hmm. And it does. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Extra extroverts have bigger letters and a bunch of other things. Really? Um, Are they yeah. messier? Uh, slantier. Slantier. And you, this was as a kid. You did a study on this. Yeah, this was the one that won the like state science fair. Wow. Oh wait. Oh no, no, no. Sorry. That one this one won the school science fair the next year, but um the state one was does music type affect math ability? So this is where I actually did like a control group, an exposure group, and I had people I played like either classical music or rock music and had them do a bunch of math problems and I saw how much they could do and compared it to the baseline of no music and anyway, it's a whole thing. Well 
now now literally the whole planet is dying to know the result of this. So just, unsurprisingly, uh, I think um, music type does affect math ability. And um, with uh, rock, your math ability is worse than with classical. Now we're talking about a pretty small sample size, so keep that in mind. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but that was the outcome. And, and this was all as, this was as a high schooler? Yeah. You'd play different music, and then you'd have your friends do math and see yeah, if they yeah. did right or wrong. And Yeah. And so, like, I think, I don't know what the, like, true underlying thing is, but I've always been interested in, like, you know, the cause of things or like, learning about why certain things happen. And um, so I started college going into, I thought I was going to be a, or I did start as a psychology major. And then I changed it to marketing. And then I changed it to advertising and PR. Um, because it was like, oh, psychology is like either you have people telling you their problems all day or you're just like doing research for years. And I was like, uh, how can I affect like a big group of people? I want to like apply this stuff. And so that was like marketing and advertising. Awesome. Awesome. And then you go to school and they teach you the four P's. Yep. And, and then I, I started a company selling t-shirts and then almost in got school sued. or when you got out. Let's see, this was, I think it was in school. And I, um, it was like based on this book series. And we were trying to be really careful about um, like plagiarism or copyright infringement because yeah. it was like a book series that existed and it was like a, a cult, like it was like based off of the book, but not anything directly out of the book. And then the mistake that we made was that our website like alluded to the book a little bit too clearly. And, and then the, uh, the general counsel for Universal Pictures was like, like called me on the phone and was like, we're going to sue you. Oh, they <laughs> called you? How old were you at the time? Uh, maybe 17 or... Jeez, you're like a Napster rebel. Uh, it's, uh, that makes it sound way more interesting. <laughs> I was just really scared. <laughs> were you? you know, I guess if you get a phone call for some... Well, the worst thing was I had like a, a family friend lawyer advising me and I was like, oh my God, you have to like call them and tell them to stop like... I don't want to get in trouble. And she was like, actually, if I call them, they're going to think you have money because you have a lawyer. Like you have to call them to show them that you don't have, don't have money. And I was like, smart. I was so scared. And it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. In general, like you're talking about it now. Yeah. We podcast and like, we reached a settlement that was acceptable to both sides. That's the, uh, yeah. Just like when you were a kid. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Training paid off, man. It's a, you just starting companies right out of school, kind of there, or in school or out of school? Is this just that entrepreneurial? Well, yeah, I specialize in companies that fail really quickly. That's, <laughs> that's my need. Not always. No, no. I mean, th- this would be the exception is the, is the one I have now. But um, yeah, no. So I started like a, a little consulting firm with a friend for no okay. reason. Made no sense. He was, he was working in aerospace and I was like unemployed in advertising. We were like, oh, we're going to start a thing. And then. Well, I learned how to file an LLC and that came in handy later. It does um, come in handy. So yeah, there was the t-shirt thing. There was that. Uh, and then, oh, and then in grad school, I, I was trying to do like an Airbnb for event spaces, like sure. renting out that excess capacity yeah. um, for like weddings and stuff. And, um, and that was like worked crazy hard on that for a year, like all out. Um, and, and thankfully sort of acknowledged that it was like, either it's not a good idea or we were the wrong team to do it, but like we, we killed it, but we were sure that that was the right move. And so that was a great experience too. I learned a ton there. 
Yeah. I mean, and these are, I mean, these are things we can dive into for hours, I'm sure. But, you know, sometimes those, when it doesn't go right, if you're, you know, if you're open to it, that's where the learning lessons are. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. When it, what's going right, back to your point, you know, <laughs> when things are going right, you don't even know what's going on sometimes. You're not even sure why it is, but when it, when it goes wrong or those kind of things, you can, you can learn and grow. Yeah. Um, the, the biggest learning from that experience was that like, don't kid yourself. The most important signal is dollars. Mm. So, and I, and this is something that I've, yeah, I probably felt this way ahead of that. I just like wasn't taking my own medicine, but I don't like when marketers especially will use other signal to make big decisions off of. And it's like, I, I don't know. I'm a, I don't believe the, the customer all the time. Right. Um, like, like Steve Jobs is like, they don't necessarily know what they want. Right. And you only know what they want when they actually pay for it. Uh, not when they say what they think, you know, I'm not saying don't listen to any qualitative feedback, totally do that stuff. But um, I just think like you should take it with a grain of salt. And, um, and so anyway, in the, in the startup example, like we were, we had a bunch of people signed up for this, like no cost pilot. And we thought that that meant we had traction. And it was mm. like, no, no, no. Once we started asking for dollars, they were like, Oh, well maybe next year if we have the budget, and it's like, oh, we don't have a business at all. This is horrible. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Don't play around for free. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good lesson, man. I mean, I, and for entrepreneurs, but also for marketers, for everyone, it, in the end, your clicks, your impressions, they're nice. They're, they're cute, but it all comes down to, did they buy in the end, you know, B to C, B to B, B to whatever, did they buy at the end? And well, and, and yeah. you can extrapolate that to like, uh, like Tim Ferriss, this all came from Tim Ferriss originally, which was like, he had this idea in the four hour work week of, um, you know, run an ad for the product you want to sell before you even made the product. Right. Right. And I love that because in that scenario, you can't even buy the thing. And so, <laughs> you know, you didn't even need to have the product. So I'm not saying dollars matter, meaning you have to have the actual product. It's like, just ask them to buy and see if they click. And uh, then you're like, okay, we got something here. Then make something and see if they buy that, right? Uh, or, or just make the landing page and see if they click buy. You know, right? So there's like these different stages where, yeah, you end up with like 12 pissed people who don't get their shirt. But like, also those are 12 opportunities to like, sell the shirt to when you make it and like you know i just think you know we're missing out on opportunities to like get really strong signal and instead if you ask people just what they would do i i don't trust that you, you know not just asking what they would do but seeing what they do and yeah. reminding us all the best signal i love that word signal to look for is that purchase signal because if you look at uh, like behavioral psychology um freakonomics like People yeah. do weird things that don't make sense or, or don't make sense on the surface. And so just like asking people what they would do is just not a good signal to rely on. Yeah. And, and the example you brought up earlier too, for people, if you haven't heard of this book or read it, Tim Ferriss, The 4-Hour Workweek. Oh. Uh, fantastic book. and Stuff of legend. Like Tim, he works a little more than four hours. He's a, he's a hard worker, but he drinks a lot of tea. He has a lot of fun. Well, he's... Uh, yeah, his point is, you know, apply, like he's saying you could work 40 hours. I'll just make you 10x more productive then. Um, he's not saying you have to work four hours, but he's saying 
people just fill up their time with less productive things and and he has a bunch of tricks for how to be more productive yeah i mean a lot of tricks but the one you brought up though is what he did is he used advertising to test value value prop people responsive the book the four-hour work week he came up with by having a bunch of ads for different books that offered what his book was going to be about with different titles different slogans and taglines to see who would buy what and to your your other point he would then ask people you know give them a chance to buy the book and so it wasn't just like oh that's nice they they clicked on the ad but they actually went to the cart and he would set it up this guy's crazy he would set it up so that they could actually add it to this cart and they could go to checkout they could enter detail or i don't think got to details but they could they could go to like check out and it would say, Oh, sorry, this thing's on back order or something. We'll let you know when it's available. And, and then yep. he knew these people didn't just click. They didn't just browse, but they actually tried to check out and then he could do all this before even having the thing available, just spending some dollars on the AdWords side. It's brilliant. So, and I think people should just think creatively about how they can apply this. Cause obviously Let's you say you're in, you're, we work at a big company, you're in B2B marketing. It's like, how does this example help me? Like, I don't know, use it for your content, right? Like, don't take all of that time producing really high quality content until you've seen what is the content people click on, right? And if you're going to gate it with a lead lander anyway, then, you know, wait till people submit and then have this really nice note that goes out that's like, hey, I got to let you in on a secret. Like I'm running an experiment to see like what content people are interested in. Now I totally admit I gave you a bait and switch. So here's how I'm going to make it up to you. Right. I'm going to do a 30 minute, like actual phone call with you and actually tell you the valuable content. Cause I don't have it written up yet, but that'll give you what you're looking for. And I promise you'll get the first copy that goes out. And it's like, you can still keep them happy and, and it's totally worth it to have like eight hours of phone calls to save you. I mean, Creating a huge piece of content takes way more than eight hours. Yeah. It helps you build the right one first. Like, oh my God, so much time saved. Yeah, understanding which, great idea. Great idea on the webinar front. Um, a lot of content, white papers, all these different things. Are people actually interested in this? Mm -hmm. And then go build it as opposed like, to investing all that time. If you ask me, like, would I be interested in a webinar on X? It's like, yeah. Whatever it is, yes, I'm interested in it. Like everything is interesting. But then when it's like, oh wait, am I gonna take time out of my day to like actually watch that? That's a totally different question. Actually, it's one up. that's really hard to get like a true answer on. So so just like run the test. It's like yeah. quick and easy. So I, I love that um, method. I understand it's challenging for some legal departments to to get around <laughs> so everyone has their own flavor, but like I just a big fan of that approach. Yeah, everyone shows up for the webinar. Actually, everyone doesn't show up for the webinar. It'd be what, you know, 50% <laughs> right. or right. less show up for the webinar. And you're like, hey, have you heard of the Carbonaro effect? Hey, this is a magic, this is a magic show here. This didn't actually happen. Right, right. That's cool. I, I like that example. That's really, that's really interesting. You know, looking back on, on like your whole marketing career, what would you advise yourself if you were in a time machine and you're like talking to yourself, just getting out of school about marketing, about just your career and itself what would you tell yourself all this wisdom you've gained on marketing as well as you know just knowing more about yourself what would you go back and tell yourself so i think i would like i wouldn't go back and tell myself things to like try and alter my path i think i would tell myself things to give me more faith in the path that i was taking it's like i ultimately believe it was the right one for me but but man it 
it was hard to be sure about that. Um, right. And that's, you know, just sort of normal. But um, I was, I, I placed a bet on the exponential career curve, right? Where for the first five to seven years out of undergrad, you know, I saw my peers doing this, right? And I was doing this. So they're going up like a, at, at a regular salary, angle. Right. Like salary over years of experience, right? And so I'm, I'm at this lower level because I'm starting my own businesses. I'm, you know, not getting the best pay I can get from the market. Right. And, and it did ultimately at some point, you know, pay off and I'm, you know, I got a good um, sort of wage now, but, but that man, that's a, a harrowing sort of eight years to sign up for where you, you keep seeing, I mean, think about it, eight years of like going on social and seeing how people spend their money and seeing their job and their cool clients. And you're just like, Oh, I'm here in my boxers in my living room, <laughs> laptop working for my two teeny clients. Like, is this the right path? So uh, I would have just said, you're doing good, man. Keep it up. Keep it up, man. That, that's great. You're doing good. Keep it encouraging yourself. Like yeah. trust your instincts. You knew where you're going and just saying, you got this, man. Just keep on. And, and along those lines, um, so I read one of the Rich Dad, Poor Dad books pretty yeah. early in my career, along with the Tim Ferriss one. Both of those I would put like. Agreed. For sure. And, um, and, and I had a thought that I like forgot somewhere in the middle of my career that I more recently remembered and was like, man, that was, that was good. I wish I had like kept that in mind this whole time. And it was, it was roughly something like um, in the Rich Dad, Poor Dad books, you see that, you know, you're reading about this guy and, and his sort of like a father figure who's very, very wealthy. And, um, and it just was clear to me through that book that if you want to be able to create and manage wealth successfully, you have to have a pretty good understanding of a few different things. One is real estate. Another is um, finance. And another is uh, business or entrepreneurship, right? Because those are things that all allow you to leverage your time. Um, and, and that means you can actually create wealth. It's not just like an hour in, you know, some dollars out and, and your income is time to, tied to your, your, um, your time. Right. And, um, and so I, I like read that and I was like, well, it's really hard to like invest in real estate if you don't have any money. And it's really hard to be good at finance if you don't have any money. But if you're good at entrepreneurship, you can like start that whole process by building up something. And then you have money to invest in real estate and finance. And so I was like, all right, well, I don't know if I'm whiteboarding this, I'll do the first 10 years of my life on entrepreneurship and the next 10 on real estate and the next 10 on finance. And, wow. and, and like the other, like, I don't know, a year or so ago, I, I don't know what made that pop into my mind, but I was like, holy shit, I've kind of stuck to that. You have. And, and it's totally working. And it was the right way to think about it. And I, I think I would, if I was to go back and talk to my old self, like I would say, Hey, remember you, you had this longer term plan, like just stick with that. Cause it's easy to get caught up in the like, what's my salary this year? And, you know, I want a nicer car or like, I want everything to go faster and, and having a little bit broader view would have been um, pretty useful. It sounds like that's, that's useful for life, career, even the marketing we were talking about earlier, getting too focused in on like the, the details can sometimes like camera that's too focused in, you see the dust on the lens, you see the lens itself as opposed to seeing under, you know, the forest, the trees or whatever metaphor, you got to just be able to take a step back and look at the overall picture. It sounds like for all, like all things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, business growth is great for that. Like that's a EOS is super useful for like helping the team see the entire picture and helping to remind me that like, it's not, doesn't all need to get done today. It's like, there's this longer term plan, calm down, slow down. 
So, um, yeah. Right. It, it can be tough to think about that though, when you're, when you're in it, when you're, when you're up to your neck and to do's, it can be hard to maybe take a step back and yeah. remind you to your point self, have your time traveling self come back and remind yourself to look at the big picture. What was that plan you had in your head before you got inundated with that to-do list? Yeah. It's hard to do that when you're young. It's like, I think it's some of that just requires time, but that's what I time. Tell give you, yeah. cut yourself a break and give yourself a little slack. Yeah. Yeah. Get to it. Well, that's cool, man. Well, I mean, this has been fantastic. Where can people like connect with you? You know, LinkedIn, Twitter, what's good? Maybe some social fulcrum URLs. Th throw some places out at us so we can put these in the show notes for folks. So ironically, I, I own a social media advertising company, but I think the last time I updated Twitter was like seven years ago or something. <laughs> so don't, don't do it on Twitter. It is, I'm not paying attention there. Um, Got it. Probably LinkedIn is the best place to connect with me. That's where I sort of manage my, my network from. Um, and, and you can get my email that way and stuff like that. So, sure. um, so that's good. I don't have the, the messages give me alerts on my phone. So like, don't expect crazy fast response times, but, um, if you want to connect, busy guy. that's a place. And I would definitely appreciate, like, I would love to know who listens to this. What was useful? Um, I love feedback, positive or negative. Um, so, so yeah, that's the place to find me. Okay, cool. And then social fulcrum is socialfulcrum.com. Yep. For more insights on the social advertising. Well, we probably have to chat again and, and get more into the actual social advertising side. Cause I know we were just sort of geeking out on like reporting and multi-touch and there's so yeah. many things we can talk about. We could probably talk all day. It's, it's tough to know where to zoom in on. Um, yeah. And so sometimes that's fun to have a meandering thing, but like, I would love if, if people have, you know, more focused, if, if there's some clear thread of feedback around, Oh man, if you guys could dig into this, this or this, I, that would be great. I'd love to go deeper on something. Um, it's just hard to know what that is without any feedback loop. So please, you know, any and all comments are encouraged. Yeah. And uh, you don't, you can't tweet, we can't tweet you, but tweet me and I'll, I'll share it with him. <laughs> I mean, you can tweet me. Just don't expect me to respond. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll have, to, I'll have to get you on the, back on the Twitter bandwagon. You, you can try. I'll Go try. I'll try. <laughs> well, thanks, man. I mean, this has been fantastic. I, we're learning a bunch. We're hashing stuff out. I know we, we're kind of wondering, like, where would this thing go? But how has it been for you? Oh, it's been really fun. Um, you got a great energy and, and you really kept the conversation moving where you know, it didn't feel forced. I didn't have to like, you know, try and look at my notes or try yeah, too hard. I was, just, in front of you. I was just flowing. It's it perfect. That's awesome. Well, cool, man. Like, thanks again for, for joining us and, and for everyone out there listening, you know, if you learn something, then share this with someone else. I know you learned something because you, I literally have two pages of notes front and back over here. So if I learned something, I know everyone else did too, but share this with someone because that makes you a thought leader. If you're sharing it with someone else, getting it in their hands, like, hey, I learned this thing. There's this crazy Yoda guy that knows all about social and reporting. Or if somebody's going off the deep end on multi-touch, share this podcast with them to say, hey, maybe we try a lift, a lift study. Let's try that. If you haven't done a lift study, maybe think about different ways that you could you could do that. That we can have some action items from this podcast, um, and that would be that would be fantastic. Any parting parting shots? Um, I is it cool to like make an ask for like a thing I'm focused on. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so we're, I'm trying to hire someone in a sales role, okay. um, sort of like a, you know, senior account executive. I'm not, you know, I think it's biz dev 
director is the title, but the important parts are someone who's sold to marketing decision makers, you know, sold six, seven figure deals annually to them. Um, you don't need to know social advertising um, super well. Obviously it's a plus if you do, but um, we're looking for somebody to really lead our, our sales team and build that out. And um, so that's a key hire that um, you know I need to make. I'm not gonna rush it, because it's an important one. But um, if you have anybody who you think might be a good fit for our type of organization, that would be awesome, because that's a, a big need. What about location? Um, so, would love if they're here in Boston. Um, that's where we're headquartered. I'd, I'm open to exploring other options, but um, in general, we're an on-site team, so I, I would I'd say I prefer uh, Boston sure. location, and but but still open to considering other options. Yeah, maybe you just move somebody there. I mean, who doesn't want to be oh, a Patriots fan? Totally. Sorry, the the relocation expert uh, uh, expense is totally. We would easily pay that. Um, Got it. If it was uh, like, oh, I live in Denver and I need to stay in Denver, and like, can I do it? It's like, ah, uh, we need to think of what that could look like. But if everything else fits, maybe. So. Right. Yeah. Okay. Good deal, man. Well, yeah, we'll definitely keep, you know, put the word out. You know, a lot of marketers and sales listen to this podcast. So if you know someone or just think that maybe that's you, reach out. If you're, if you're in sales, then you'll know how to get in touch with Andrew, even if he's not on Twitter. That's right. You'll know, and if he's not listening, looking at LinkedIn, you'll, you'll know. That's like your first test is can you get in contact with him? Yep. You know, hint, hint, easy, easy way might be through me. So just hit me up, but uh, either way, um, get in contact and, you know, say you, you heard him on the podcast when you're asking your questions or, or sending your referrals in. So awesome, man. Well, thanks again. Sure, man. This is fun. Awesome. And for everyone else out there, this has been the hardcore marketing show. We will Woo. see you all next time.